Stephen Pritchard, today we're thinking about the holiday season. Yeah, we're going to talk um, a bit later about uh, planning for your holidays because it must only be, uh, is it seven weeks to Christmas this week? So that means it's seven weeks uh, to the holiday season. Seven weeks to holidays (laughs) for most people and usually uh, the way way Christmas falls this year, I can see that um, a lot of people are going to have two weeks off altogether, yes. um, so so a bit of planning needs to do for some holidays there. Make sure you've got some money. Ah, that's always a good start. And we'll have our weekly market update with Henry Jennings. Now it's been a little bit down, and now it's a little bit up. Generally speaking, currency down and up. Uh, the, the, the commodities are uh, the, the commodities are down. Currencies are mixed bag, and the equity markets are up as of the close of business yesterday, but I'm not sure what happened this morning. Okay. But Henry will know when we talk to him a bit later. Indeed, that'll be good. But and equities, of course, dropped quite a bit, didn't they, in the last little while? Uh, the last few weeks, uh, but, uh, but they're up the last two weeks. We've got over that little wobble at the moment. Are we back to where we were? No, mm. but we'll be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the gold, the, the gold price, the gold price was down twenty four dollars and sixty six cents an ounce over um, since last week to sixteen hundred and ninety three dollars thirty six. Uh, the tin. Price was down seven hundred and twenty-six dollars a ton to twenty-six thousand three hundred and thirty-six dollars. And the Brent crude oil prices broke the dollar. Sorry, broke the hundred dollars a barrel. So it's back down to ninety-eight dollars and ninety-eight cents. Is that uh, good news for us? Mm. Uh, theoretically it is, but it does take time for the change in the crude oil prices to flow to to the retail prices. Um, But um, then on the currencies and commodities, um, the US dollar, um, we were up um, up, uh, 0.6 of a a cent over the week to 72.73 US cents. Against the Great British Pounds, we're up marginally to 55.4. And the euro, we were 63.65 euro cents compared to 63.16. So... So do you think the U.S. midterm elections has affected that exchange rate between our dollar and the U.S. dollar? Um, yeah, I think it all fact- factors in, but there's not mm. great movements here, you know. And we've got to wait and see what I think, happens. Uh, uh, the, 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 a lot of the media appears to have been wrong again on the outcome of the U.S. Uh, <laughs> The US election. midterm elections. Okay. Yeah. The unemployment rate's dropped to below 4% over there, so... Mm-hmm. So presumably that's quite good. It's quite good, and it's dropping below five here. Mm-hmm. Um, here too. So, yeah, so the uh, All Ordinaries Index, as we said, was up, up during the week to up 56 points at the close yesterday to 5,981. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 73.5 points to 2,813, and the UK FTSE was up 2.6 points to 7,117. What about some stocks held locally? Uh, stocks locally, um, BHP uh, was up 28 cents to $33.39. Uh, CBA was up 41 cents to $69.35. So it's slowly crawling its way back to the 70 uh, $70 there, and NIB was um, um, down $0.26 cents to $5.44, and poor old Telstra managed to increase $0.07 cents to $3.09. Yeah, it's still over the $3. It's so. still over the $3 at the moment, yes. Yeah. It's the so, so overall, um, you know, local people have probably done reasonably well the last week. Um, and the, 
the oil, uh, the fuel price, the unleaded fuel price in Newcastle is dollar fifty five point one, which was down two and a half cents on last week, and <coughs> in Sydney was a dollar forty eight point three, which was down ten point five cents. Down. Down. Mm. I was in Sydney yesterday. I should have got some. Um, and here, uh, Newcastle uh, diesel price is dollar sixty four point four, which is down point two or cents, so nothing really. And in Sydney, dollar sixty two point two, which was down point three. So no, no real changes there. Mm. It is Thursday, finance, and time for a market update, Stephen Pritchard. Hi, Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. There's been That's lots good. of fun things happening during the week. <laughs> There's always fun things happening, Stephen, yeah. in the market. You know that. Yes. Always yeah. a laugh a minute. Some days, yeah, yeah. Some so, days some it is, day. yeah. So the US election results, has that affected us? Um, well, it certainly uh, galvanised the US market. They were up 550-odd points last night. Um, I guess there's some certainty now. It was very much the result as expected with the Democrats taking the House and the Republicans holding the Senate. Um, but what it does do is put a little bit of a handbrake on Donald Trump. And the market was starting to get somewhat concerned that the, um, the high-spending, low-taxing environment that he has created, while it's good for the economy, did uh, potentially have some risks that it would overheat. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the Fed may have to increase interest rates more aggressively than they had hoped for. So this handbrake on the economy uh, with uh, now sort of a gridlocked uh, political system uh, may help stave off the, uh, the Fed's more aggressive tightening bias. So that, that's one of the hopes. And certainly last night, we saw some relief in the US that there was a result it didn't drag out for you know, weeks of counting, etc., and legal challenges, and that um, you know it's um, it's all done and dusted, and we can now move on. So it's good, and our market has responded a little bit in kind as well. We're up around uh, um, 0.64% today, which is pretty good. So that's yeah. all right. Kicking on, kicking on, and and BHP's derailed their train apparently. Yeah, this was a classic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, the um, the BHP has these massively long iron ore trains that go from the Pilbara to the coast yes. of Port Hedland, and um, the driver got out to check something, and while he was out, the train started going, oh, and he it? couldn't get back in, and the train wouldn't stop. So the only way that BHP could stop the train was by derailing the train. It looked like something out of Mad Max or a, a Die Hard movie. This huge, you know, kilometre, two-kilometre-long train uh, with three engines, um, completely derailed, iron ore, dirt all over the, uh, the other dirt, um, and just an absolute mess. It's going to cost BHP a lot of money to clean it up. Um, I imagine there's some serious questions asked about why the train can um, go all by itself for quite so long. It's supposed to have a dead man. Yeah, switch. that's what I was thinking. They're supposed to have that handle when they let go the engine yeah. space to stop. Exactly. Well, even you know, even the old-fashioned trains a hundred years ago yeah. had a dead man switch, and if you if you fell asleep or whatever, the train would stop. Yeah. But um, clearly, clearly something was at, at fault here, and uh, this has been a bit of a, um, I guess, an embarrassment for BHP. Costly. Um, I wonder how the driver's feeling at the moment, just getting out to check something. I'm not sure if that's a euphemism for going behind the bushes, um, but. Um, <laughs> If there are um, any bushes there. If there are any bushes. Probably not. There's probably one little uh, patchy bush uh, to go to uh, to, to to the toilet, maybe. And, um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? So uh, astonishing pictures that came through on it. 
I'll have to go and find them. I mean, the other thing is, uh, I suppose they might have been trialling driverless trains and forgot to have a brake in them. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, that, that is something as well. I mean, they have been trialling driverless trains, both Rio and BHP. But you think if you've got a driverless train, you'd also have some kind of uh, wireless override or you know, yes. some system of control. You can't just program it and say, yeah, go and do this, because stuff happens. Yes. Um, yes. And clearly, you know, the risks are that if, if the driverless train stuffs up, you know, it's a $50 million hit yes. uh, to fix it. Yes. That's, that's yes. not cheap. That's a lot of people's wages if you're paying drivers. That's a lot. It's probably the whole lot for a year. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And uh, the banks are all apologetic, apparently. <laughs> well, the banks have not stopped crying being apologetic. Away, it's crying. been mayor culpers, uh, lots of uh, hair shirts being worn and whipping each other and lots of flagellation and... You know, we've, we've taken uh, big hits to our own personal um, remuneration, which is great, yes. uh, as they should. Um, but the, the core of it, and this is what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with these, the big three uh, announcing their results and CBA announcing its, its uh, quarterly results, is that they are still massively profitable machines. Mm-hmm. Um, between the four of them, they made close to $29 billion in profits. Um, this is despite the Royal Commission, despite remediation, despite everything. They're still very, very mm. profitable. Uh, low, um, low bad debt ratios still. Um, a lot of people still, you know, ahead on mortgages. Um, their margins are being squeezed, but they seem to be able to squeeze the costs as well. So um, dividends all being maintained. Um, challenging is, there, is a word they use in the outlook a lot, but the banking sector as a whole has been rallying because it could have been worse, and it wasn't. Yes. Yes, but they haven't, as, as a, a previous chairman of the ASA asked me yesterday, do you know if uh, Mike Smith has had to pay some of his uh, bonuses back? Mm. Yeah, because it was supposed to be on some clawback basis. I said, oh, yeah, oh, well, I'm sure it, sure it, sure it hurts a little bit. There'll be, you know, one less Ferrari for Mike, yeah, but, um, yeah. or maybe in Mike Smith's case, Aston Martin. Yes. He was uh, the James Bond of banking world. Yes, and then AMP shareholders are now turning their attention to ASX and ask them why they've waved through this sale of their business and why they didn't make them go for a shareholders vote. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was seen as a very unpopular move, I guess, and this is one of the, the good parts of AMP, um, and they sold off um, their life business, and they, it's a big, big deal. Lots of clawbacks, lots of um, very complicated structures around this, and a, a number of shareholders have expressed some serious concern about this. Um, but at the moment, that's all they're going to get is serious concern. Um, and it does look as if they're going to be able to uh, to push this one through. Um, there has been some rumours around as well that uh, Macquarie were looking at um, the business um, as a takeover target, which I find a little bit um, of a stretch. But it did wonders for the share price, which had a, a big jump up from its, uh, from its lows. Um, but it is sort of sinking back to uh, to reality as uh, as we go on. It did get down as low as two thirty. It's back up to two sixty odd at the moment. Yeah, I thought Macquarie sold their life business not so long ago. Yeah. Why would they want yeah. another one? Anyhow, I don't know. anyhow, I don't know why they want. Um, you know, they they've been trying to get out of some of the wealth management products yeah. as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, it's 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 odd, but I guess you know there's always a price for something. Yes. Um, you know, it's the same. You buy a house, you do it up, you sell it. So. It's the same with the uh, the AMP. I guess you buy it, you plug bits off, and and rebrand it or whatever, and and um, 
Yeah, sell it back to someone. Yes, okay. And then there's another, we're just going to a couple of take, we might, we might just go talk about APA for a minute. APA, the takeover mm. offer of that appears to have been knocked back on national interest grounds. It has. I mean, this was always a danger. APA uh, runs a network of gas pipelines and they're very strategic. A lot of national security issues here. And of course, we know how political uh, the gas and energy markets have been in recent times with the, uh, the now aborted NEG and all the other um, issues around the place. So um, I guess it was kind of odds on that the, um, the Treasurer and FERB would knock this one back. It looks like the Treasurer has knocked it back on national security grounds. Um, it was being um, taken over by a Hong Kong-based um, investment company, which does have a lot of investment already in Australia and a lot of assets here. Um, so been knocked back. I, was, I must admit, I was a little surprised. I thought they might um, wave it through with a number of serious conditions. Um, you know, when these foreign nationals buy these uh, national infrastructure projects and things, you know, they don't go anywhere. You can't take them home with you. Um, you know, the, the government at the blink of an, an eye can nationalise them effectively. So if there is real national security uh, concerns, they can just say, you know what, sorry guys, we're taking this back and we'll pay you, you know, however much to, to bring it back in the fold. So um, as Canberra's trying to its best to um, cuddle up to China at the moment after um, some thawing relations, I thought there was a, a small chance, I guess, that this, this might have been allowed through with a number of serious caveats. Um, but it looks like they've just gone for the holus bolus, no way Jose approach. Yep. Yeah. Well, a number of small shareholders weren't very happy at the AGM about its proposed sale either. So. Well, they're probably less happy today as the stock's down 9%. Oh, well, you know, they were talking about it's been a good long-term performer and why should we sell it? Well, that's that's true. They can, yeah, well, they could have sold it 9% higher and, um, and reaped back. the benefit. So, Henry Greencross, yep. the uh, veterinary <laughs> and pet food uh, store company, has agreed to be sold for $5.55 a share, I think. Yes, they have. I mean, this is um, despite the fact some years ago uh, they knocked back, I think it was uh, well, seven dollars or seven dollars fifty, and said that it, what didn't didn't uh, offer shareholders significant value, and it was undervaluing the group. They've now rolled over and agreed that five fifty five is a uh, is a fair and reasonable price. They've recommended it. It's from TPG Capital, uh, which is a private equity mob. Um, so it looks like at the moment the market believes that this one will go through. Um, there's not too many competition issues with uh, dogs and vets. So um, currently the stock's around 540 so a little bit of a discount to the uh, the offer price, but that takes into account the time that it will take to put the scheme into uh, into effect. So it does look as if this one will go through and Green Cross will once again reside with private equity before it um, probably inevitably gets sold back to uh, shareholders at a higher price when they've done the necessary surgery to fix it up. Yes, we'll dress it up. As you yeah, said. dress it up, put yep. some lipstick on a dog. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, they do talk about humanisation of animals, so it's only a matter of time before they start selling dog lipstick, I imagine. I'm sure they already sell it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure in America they sell it. Oh, sell anything in America. Uh, <laughs> and Cockley has been hit with some damages, Bill? Yeah, Cockley has got a, um, got a $728 million um, US million dollar hit um, in terms of an old patent infringement that they are disputing. It's going to take a couple of years. They've only put away around 20 million in provisions for this, so clearly they don't think they've got a leg to stand on, but American courts can be quite uh, punitive in their damages awards. Um, this certainly is a big one. 
Um, so it's, it is sort of, I guess, holding cochlear back. Um, it'll be a lawyer's picnic for the next couple of years uh, before this starts to um, dissipate. But it'd uh, be nice if they could get it settled and out of the way so that the market can move on. But clearly it's, it's, it's weighing on the stock at the moment, not really participating in the current rally that we're seeing in some of these high-tech, high-growth stocks that uh, are around and about. Yes, and then uh, bigger, bigger, bigger cheeses abandon its bid for Capilano. Yeah, that's the buzz. That's the buzz. buzz that's the buzz. Yeah, yeah. That's the buzz. So, um, yeah, Bega had a big stake in Capilano, I think around 20%. Yep. Uh, and they were going to, uh, well, the, the market thought that they may uh, launch their own bid, but they've rolled over. They've accepted the, uh, the offer from uh, a new company specifically set up uh, to buy uh, Capilano. I think $21 or something is the price. Yep. Um, and, um, yeah, it looks like it's a done deal now. There's no other comp- competitors. Uh, Bega's pretty happy with the price, so they've done quite well out of it. Um, the shareholders are being asked to either take cash or um, shares in an unlisted vehicle where they'd be a minority shareholder. Yeah, that's a great idea, isn't it? But, you know, that's going to end well. Uh, yeah, um, I think cash is the way to go here. Cash is the way to go. Cash is good. Cash is king. Yes. So, um, yes, um, I, would, I would suggest most people would take cash. And uh, two more things. Uh, Westpac, mm. Westpac remains committed to the wealth management business. Uh, yeah, which they're is kind of canoodle-like in this. Yes. Um, everyone, all the other banks are, um, are uh, pulling back from wealth management. It's a bit of a dirty word around banks. And the, the new word is simplification. Mm-hmm. So all these banks are simplifying themselves to greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how great you can be if you're that simple. But... Um, it's, um, it remains to be seen, but uh, certainly, you know, that's, that's their plan, whereas Westpac sticks out a little bit because these guys are ploughing on with their strategy be- that they had before the Royal Commission, with the strategy after the Royal Commission, and continuing to push West uh, Wealth Management, which is a point of differentiation. So I guess if they get it right, and they can you know, handle the, uh, the PR consequences and the remediation and all the other issues, they might... Um, they might do quite well out of it. But Westpac problems didn't seem as great as the other banks, remember? No, no. And they do. They have had a history of actually fighting um, back as opposed to the other banks, which tended to roll over. Um, we saw that with uh, some of the uh, inquiries into interest rate fixing and FX fixing, where the other three kind of rolled over pretty quickly, whereas Westpac went to court, fought, and kind of got a, a bit of a draw out of it. So. Mm-hmm. So um, they did a little better and didn't actually admit any liability. And Westpac appears to be going to win the latest um, stash as well with the yeah. hands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, which is interesting. And they, they got good lawyers, clearly. Well, I think it was the judge. Yeah. The judge wanted to know what, what evidence ASIC had and they didn't appear to have any. <laughs> well, I think that the sad fact of the matter is that the, the Banking Royal Commission is not just an inquiry into the banks. It is probably a, an inquiry into the failure of the regulators to enforce the rules mm. against the banks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that's, that sort of looms large in this whole argument, is that there are rules in place for all this stuff. Um, if the banks are breaking those rules, then ASIC, APRA, and all the other authorities should be coming down them like mm. a ton of bricks mm. rather than waving it aside and saying, oh, OK, mate, don't worry about it. Yeah, one of the big issues with ASIC, I think, is that it's too big. It looks after too many things, and it's unfocused. Yeah. It, should yeah. be, it should be split up. Yeah. 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 Not made bigger, as they're trying to do. No. But that, yeah. that I guess, is, is part of the, the brief from APRA, which has more the um, yeah. provincial regulatory yeah. authority um, regulations to look after. But 
Yeah. Again, if the government cuts funding to these, these bodies and then there's a problem, duh. Yeah, that's right. And corporate travel management's going to engage EY to review the claims by VGI. I would have thought they wouldn't have needed someone outside to tell them. Well, I guess uh, EY are not their, um, not their uh, auditors. Um, they have refuted the claims. They're up 13%. Um, they seem to have done a good job with a straight bat batting back the, uh, the claims that VGI made about the, uh, the business structure of corporate travel. Uh, so far, um, VGI have done a 176-page report and a 52-page report, so it's about 228 pages of negativity of, mm-hmm. on corporate travel. Uh, the stock has dropped from uh, 33 bucks to uh, 22 bucks. so um, they've done a pretty good job in uh, smashing the share price, but it does look as if the road to recovery is a looming up 13% today on the back of that rebuttal to the rebuttal to the rebuttal. Um, and uh, I'm sure that VGI won't let this one go just yet, but um, uh, we'll see. But it does look as if they have at least answered the questions, or EY have answered the questions that uh, that uh, VGI posed about the business and cash flows and accounting practices. Okay. And we'll be back next week, Henry, to talk about some more fun things. We will. I'm, I'm currently doing Movember, so I'm growing on the stars, which doesn't work for radio, thankfully, because it's not no, very attractive. But, but I'll be able to have a look at you on the ABC one night. You can. I was on yesterday. Yeah. No, I missed that. But so, anyway, you'll be on again. I'm sure. Thank you, okay. Thanks, Henry. Henry Jennings, and we'll talk next week for an update on the market then. Thursday Finance on 2NURFM and it's time to think about holidays, Stephen Pritchard, and uh, of course, because it's Thursday Finance, from a money point of view. Yeah, a lot of people are thinking about holidays at this time of the year um, and, 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 and if you want to get a cheap holiday, it's probably too late. Um, <laughs> you know, there's lots of holidays that are offered during the year and, and it tends to be the further you book in advance, um, the cheaper you get. So if you want to want to get a cheaper holiday, um, start thinking about booking next year's holiday now. Okay, so there we go. That's yeah, so, so, first. But, tip. but anyhow, um, there's also there's also lots of um, if you want to fly somewhere, um, you know, you need to have a look at the prices of the airline because I went to Brisbane last week and and we flew up uh, we flew back on uh, we flew up on Virgin and we flew back on Jetstar and someone else booked the going up flights, but I. I don't know what they were, but but on the way back, um, the Virgin fare on the way back was three hundred dollars, and the 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 um, Jetstar one was about seventy five dollars, and they're both leaving at the same time. So so where you've got multiple airlines, you need to go and look at what the prices are. Unless you specifically want to travel on a specific airline, go and have a look at the prices and see what the times are, because the fares vary a lot. Mm. They have special days. They have special they, days. They have special times. If you yeah. book in advance, you get bigger discounts. So, so um, you know, you know, you need to have a look at that. Um, and one of the other things is, and and I noticed for the first time I've ever seen this happen on on the Jetstar fly on the way back. They're actually weighing the baggage and checking it. Yes. And and that's been a big bugbear of mine to be honest. And I was quite happy they were doing that because you'd get on the plane and people that have all these baggages and you'd, they could hardly fit in the overhead lockers and there was no room to put your jacket or anything in there. So Jetstar is now actually, at least in Brisbane, is weighing the bags. And if you've got excess baggage, you're being charged for it. So so I think you need to keep an eye on your baggage, particularly when you go away and come back. Um, um, 
you know, this is when people get and excess baggage is very expensive. You're better off booking in advance um, for to go through rather than get to the gate and get told, oh well, we can't take this bag. You've got to pay extra money and or yes. it's got to put put on to a later flight um, and all sorts of inconvenience things. So you need to check your excess baggage when you when you're flying think, back. Think ahead. Think mm. ahead. Mm. And then one of the things that you know people often forget about now is if you're going overseas, you need to um, advise your bank, particularly if you're going to use your credit card overseas, because um, they're bank, not just being nosy, are they? No, banks are becoming more conscious of um, what clients are doing and they've got customers doing rather than they've got smarter software solutions there. So, um, and overseas fraud's becoming more prevalent. So you might find that if, if there's a sudden change in spending habits on your, your overseas credit, your credit card while you're overseas and these transactions start appearing, um, bank security might put a hold on, on, on the account. Um, so it's not a bad idea to, to, um, to tell the bank in advance. And also another idea that I was, well, I was doing myself is take two credit cards from different institutions and keep them separate. Yes. Right. Don't, don't, don't keep them both in the same wallet or wherever you do. Um, because if you lose one, you lose the lot, at least if you've got two, two separate, um, credit cards. Um, travel insurance is, now travel insurance is extremely important when you go overseas. There's, there's so many people that seem to go overseas without travel insurance and some accident happens and the next thing you know, they're making some appeal on GoFundMe and you know, and I think well you know travel insurance really isn't that expensive in the scheme of things and if you're going overseas and you're silly enough not to get travel insurance um, you know, why should the rest of the community be tipping in money for you? Um, but anyhow, travel insurance, you need to get your travel insurance policy. You need to make sure it covers what, what you need it to cover. And one of the little things you need to be very careful on on travel insurance is that if you go overseas and particularly, say, a country like Bali, where they've got these scooter things um, that don't require a licence to drive them in Bali, if the same motor vehicle requires a license in Australia, and this is in a lot of travel policies, the same motor vehicle requires a license in Australia to drive, i.e. the scooter, but doesn't require one in the Bali, you're excluded from coverage under that policy. Now, read the fine print. You need to be very careful on the motor vehicles that if you get overseas that aren't, don't a license, but you do here, you will find in a lot of cases the policy won't cover you. Mm. So you need to make sure the policy covers you for what, you want to do mm. um yeah read the fine print or ring up the the policy issuer or you know and and just and, and if you have to pay a bit extra pay a bit extra for the increased risk and, and one of the most important things is the cost of the currency if you go overseas you're paying currency conversions if you're going to buy the currency um generally in my experience the the closer you are to the airport the more expensive the best the, the worst deal you'll do um if you're going to convert before you go here um Forget all about we've got no fees and we've got no commissions and because it's all made in the spread anyhow between the buy and the sell rate. What you need to do is go to somewhere like Beaumont Street where you've got all the major banks down there, go into them and say, I've got $5,000 in Australia and I want to convert that to US dollars. How much will I get in US dollars? And, and don't listen to what really matters is how much cash you've got in your hand, not whether there's no commission or whether there's commission and the spread and, and other fees. It's the more, the more US dollars you get in your hand is the best deal. Excellent. So going over, we'll be right now. Thank yeah, you. You can pack. <laughs>
Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thursday Finance, and we'll be back next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>